anytime for everyone. This is jrootradio.com. Got a toothache? Need a filling? Not sure where to go or who to trust? Visit Dr. Yehoshua Cantor, General and Family Dentistry. Reasonably priced, accepts most major insurance, Hebrew-speaking, open Sundays, warm and caring staff, child-friendly and Hamish environment. Call them at 718-972-2970. Dr. Yehoshua Cantor, gentle and attentive care, 718-972-2970. <laughs> We on. Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight's show should be proved very interesting. Uh, unfortunately, we're starting with a regular neg- with a sort of a negative uh, point over here. Uh, I want to report on something that came out, and uh, many of you may have heard of it. Maybe you didn't. In any event, I don't think it's my business to bring out the names involved because I want to make a statement. It seems that there's a community. It's not uh, Brooklyn. It's not Lakewood. There's a community. It's uh, not far away from uh, Brooklyn and Lakewood, but there's a community. And in that community, there's a very religious groupings, and they uh, seems to be that one group, whoever that is exactly, it's a sort of a community group, came out against a certain rabbi in the town and said very strong words. He said that, they said, uh, this is what they wrote, we have had issues with this rabbi and his eshkachas, and we feel it's important to make it known to our members they should not rely nor patronize any of the establishments that are under his eshkachas. Now, if it would be, and this rabbi sold pig, uh, he sold uh, non-kosher steaks, he, uh, he sold milk and flesh together, and mixed together, was cooked, was cooked together, I would have no problem with tar and feathering him and, and mentioning by name and whatever you have to do. We have to stop people from eating trace. But this story is not on the paper what happened. It seems it has to do with monetary issues and political issues. And yet they say they had issues with his hashkachos. Now, why am I interested in this whole thing? I'll tell you why. Because people come to me, and it seems that this had come out, this letter, and uh, I started getting a lot of calls, emails, calls. People were inundating me, and they wanted to know, if they have to stop eating his ashkaha. So some people I told them uh, to investigate this way, some that way, and then I decided to do my own investigation. Listen, I have to be responsible. People calling me up or contacting me, uh, email. I have to to answer as best I can if I can. So I decided to do my investigation. How I did that, I have to keep quiet. I can't tell you now. But I did my investigation in that community about the level of this ashkaha and the Information that I derived after my investigation, which is minimal, but the people who know shared with me, and they said, this rabbi is no better nor any worse than anybody else in town. No one of these ashkachas is any better or worse than each other. And yet they have the 
right. I mean, they're not right. I mean, they have, they have they they took the they took the right to say we have had issues with rabbis so and so hashkocha, and we feel it important to make it known to our members that they should not rely nor patronize any of the establishments that are this hashkocha. Well, that's a very strong statement, and uh, someday, if it's not true, uh, if there was something something funny with it, uh, people, uh, you know should think about what they're doing. So here's what I did. <laughs> I don't stop. So uh, it, I, I was going to, knew I was going to come on today, and I said, you know, let me download this, this piece of paper from this uh, organization. And, and sure enough, I did. And uh, I'm looking at it, and all of a sudden it stares out at me. One of the names on the paper is a cousin of mine. <laughs> I said, Really? He's one of the, the heads of this organization. So I said, let me call him up and find out. Or at least make a statement and tell him that I didn't like what happened. I didn't like to try to burn somebody. I was trained that we don't do that. And uh, so I called him up and he said to me, first of all, he didn't know about this letter, even though his name is on it. And secondly, he said he tried to reach the people involved and they don't answer his calls. <laughs> and his name is being used in this list of, uh, of people that are backing this organization against Rabbi So and So. So something is not uh, doesn't doesn't seem to jive very well. Let me just tell you my his, my history. Many years ago, I would say forty, but if it's thirty-eight or thirty-nine years ago, we were really beginning, very much at the beginning. And in those days, anything anybody told me, I wrote it down in the magazine. I collected everything, but I wrote it as they said it. And one conscious organization wrote that this rabbi's product, that this particular thing, is not recommended. So I wrote down in conscious, then it was called conscious uh, newsletter. I wrote, in conscious newsletter, I wrote that this particular product is not recommended. I figured it's not recommended. They're not recommended by me. I don't know much about it, but the organization, which is a very reputable organization, one of the major organizations in America, they said it's not recommended. So I feel, you know, right down not recommended. And I was taking everything very literally. And I got a call from a teenage boy, a yeshiva boy. He was sitting in the yeshiva, and he told, he was in the yeshiva from Ramosha Feinstein's yeshiva. And actually, the uh, the one in Staten Island, Yeshiva uh, Ruven Feinstein, but Rav Moshe was out there also very regularly. So, so, so he, 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 the boy spoke to me and he said, I, "You wrote them in your Kashrus newsletter that Rabbi So and So's Ashkoch on this particular product is not recommended, or the product's not recommended is under the Ashkoch." So I said, "Yeah, I wrote it. I got it from such and such organization." They said, "Well." But Moshe Feinstein told us that you could rely on this rabbi. I said, yeah, we can rely on the rabbi? Yeah, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein told us. So I decided from then on, I don't write those things. So, for example, when Conscious Magazine gets a, uh, one of these, uh, these, new, these uh, announcements, we call kosher alerts from one of the conscious agencies, we dropped this hashkocha for gross kosher violations. It goes into magazine, the magazine as this particular store or business is no longer certified by Rabbi so-and-so or uh, this Hashkoch. But it doesn't, doesn't say anything about the gross crash violations. 
I won't write it. And I won't write it because that boy taught me a lesson. I'm older than him, but he taught me a lesson. Who says you should have the right to say not recommended? Who says you have a right to write down gross cautious violations? Do I know anything about the violations? I know anything about it. And what's called gross cautious violations? They didn't pay my bill last month, or they didn't pay my bill, and I found something funny, or I found something funny three times or four times. What about the first three times? So I, I don't feel that um, I have enough information to honestly say there were gross cautious violations. It could be the perception, it could be the anger or feelings of the cautious agency. So a fact is he's no longer certifying it. That's a fact that goes into the magazine. But that you feel that it was gross cautious violations, I'm not going to put that in. Now, if it was a scandal that the, the place serving trafe, we'll all know about it. You don't need me. You don't need anybody. It will be known by everybody that the trafe was served. How do we find out? It goes so fast, you don't have to worry. You will find out 100%. Now, that said, <laughs> can't take that in, in, in perspective. I remember one time that I was speaking to one of the conscious agencies, uh, one of the larger ones, uh, the, you know, the national ones, and uh, they told me about certain trace of places that they had to close down, and I had not known about it. So, yes, it does happen, but it happened in a, it's a little further away from me, but usually these things do get out pretty quickly, and um, in that case, they, there was no long time. They dropped it immediately, and you're right, they put it a little bit under the rug. It does happen, but if you're good, but somebody who's, when he writes gross cautious violations, he won't write that and not tell you that the place was trafe and 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 that we, and that we had to close it down and we had to start it. No, everyone lets you know, so you don't have to worry about that. This gross cautious violations, we don't know exactly what that means. It could mean different things to different people at different times, and therefore I don't want to start using that phrase. They told you that young teenager taught me uh, a lesson about 40 years ago. So that's why I don't like this kind of uh, attack. Uh, and here, it clearly uh, known in that community that there were monetary issues and political issues between that rabbi and that organization. And to say that his hashkachas are no good is probably not factual at all. At all, not even a little bit. So this is the kind of thing I was, what I'm, I'm talking about is really not so much whether you're living in that community because you probably already know about whatever I'm saying now, or maybe you don't really know, but it, 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 it's more just how do you react to the information that you're given. When somebody says gross cautious violations, and then a week later he has a different ashkocha, you don't know, it, it may very well be that the gross causes of relations were not so bad and that that new Ashkocha has his head on his shoulders and that they're doing a proper job. On the other hand, it could be not. It could be that they never called the, uh, the original conscious organization and spoke to them. It, that's an issue that, you know, that some people are careful uh, that before they take a Ashkocha, they find out who was the previous Ashkocha, make the telephone call, 
and they also ask, was he paid before? Is he make sure that the man has been paid or the organization been paid? They don't want to start moving into a community, into a hashkocha where somebody has kindness against the the, the owner. It, 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 there are people who conduct themselves in a different kind of a fashion. Right, I want to go on now to something I just saw in uh, the Daf Hakashras, just as a practical thing, an interesting little point. It seems that uh, the Kellogg's cereals are now under the OU, those that are under the OU. I mean, obviously there are some that are not kosher, and there are some that uh, may have a different halashkocha, perhaps still, uh, I think so. In, in any event, I'm not dealing with that question of how many Kellogg's products are under the uh, under the auspices of the uh, of the OU, but this is an interesting question. It seems that there's a there's a product called Crispix that Kellogg's makes, and it it has uh, it seems it has uh, rights, and it has uh, and 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 it ha- and it seems it has uh, other other ingredients, so that are uh, that it would be a shahako. So the question is, which bracha do you make? He said uh, that the, they came out in the Davakashra, in the name of Rabbi Belsky Zatzal, he held that the bracha is shahako. Although one side is ground rice, which is mizonos, the other side is corn, which is shahako. There are other companies that make similar type products. That one, the two uh, piece that's got two sides to it, one side being mizonos, let's say, if, we, if you're going to call uh, rice and mazonas, which most of us do, and the other side is a shahako, corn, because it's ground corn. So what do you do? So he says you make a shahako. Since there's not a majority of rice, see, uh, with the five grains, uh, wheat, barley, rye, oats, and spelt, you don't have to have 50% or more, I mean more than 50%, in order to make the bracha on them, even if it's about 12.5% because that is already significant. Uh, but in terms of rice, the bracha mazonas is only when it's over 50%. A special halacha, I'm not going to go into it now, it has to do with the fact that the, the rice is, is, is coming in with mazonas for a different reason, and there's a special halacha of koshi yeshbo, uh, one of the chameshes minim. It's not a topic for, for today. I mean, it could do it, but I, I, I want to get on to some of the stuff. Just to tell you that that, that, that toss-up over there, how they handle it. Now, in Kosher Today, which is a publication online for, uh, from uh, Rabbi Lipinski, Menachem Lipinski, and uh, he's really on the to- cutting edge of everything. I, you know, I know him for many, me, I know him for many, many, many years. He's on the cutting edge. And he wrote something. I didn't get a chance to speak to him. I'd love to do it. That's a very strong statement. I'm going to read to you verbatim because this is something that uh, I've talked about and which is very much concerns me, and I think that uh, all of us have to wake up and realize that just like COVID is across the world and Hashem is speaking to us, when, when anything happens, even in Europe, we have to say Hashem is speaking to us about us, not just about our, our brethren in Europe. Just like in Eretz Israel, whatever difficulties they're having now in the, from Corona, and, and whatever issues go on in any part of the of the world regarding Jews, 
Yes, it's, it's, it's affecting them, but we are them. They are us. We have no right to say that, uh, oh, that's going on in Europe, but I live here. You know, it, it, we, we, we are in one world and we are one people. Here is the little article. Anti-Shrita and anti-Kaporas legislation in New York legislature, COVID environment. Again, anti-Shrita and anti-Kaporas legislation in New York state legislature, COVID environment. In other words, right now, there's discussion about Shrita and about Kapara. So I hate to put the two together. I mean, it's not, they're, not, they're, not, they're, not, uh, they're not connected, and, 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 and then Kapara is, uh, you know, is, is nothing compared to the Shrita for us. Here's here from Albany. There are bills moving through the state legislature, New York state legislature, that may affect Kapara in New York and Shrita as a whole. It is being proposed because in China, COVID-19 was spread in animal markets of slaughter on premises. Sentences like prohibition of the operation of establishments where animals and or fowls are slaughtered for food. And another quote, the commissioner shall immediately suspend the, the license of any person, firm, partnership, or corporation that currently holds a license issued by the commissioner to operate any place of establishment where animals and or fowls are slaughtered or butchered for food. Okay? The big question is whether COVID will be an excuse to curtail the ritual of kaparas, where chickens are used before Yom Kippur. Even more disconcerting is language in bills that would ban shita. We're not talking about Europe. We're talking about United States of America, New York State Legislature. Sources told Kosher today that the bills do not appear to have any serious traction. Traction means they don't have any, they don't have any, they're not going to they're not going to stick. But vigilance is required nonetheless. But it's the first I've heard of bills attacking a Kaparis. We've had discussions of it. There's been issues for years. I was an active member of a, community, of a committee, in fact, they helped start it to, to, to help uh, uh, continue Kaparis and to work with the Kaparis centers to make sure that they were doing a decent job in how they handle the health issues and uh, in a, in a, from, the, from the point of view of the government and that they were in, in, you know, in cooperation with all of the rules of the government, and that they didn't uh, break anything, which would, which would, which would cause them to be closed and for maybe to close down Kaparis. And also, uh, we we had at that time concern about Shrita, but nothing came up then. Now things are coming up in New York State Legislature. So, this is one of the most scary pieces of information. I do want to research it further to see if I can find out what, what really is going on, but uh, the, at least they said it hasn't got much traction. But still, it's, remember, you, you remember about Amalek. Amalek, Ashekorcho Baderich. Amalek cooled us off on the road. How do you mean, what do you mean cooled us off? Because Amalek, because the Jewish people 
were successful, and it was like a hot bath. And then Malik jumped in and got burnt, because we defeated them. But still in all, they cooled us off, because now everyone says, you know, they lost, but they, did a, they put on a good show. And, then, and the next group, the next bunch of, uh, of anti-Semites are going to say, oh, we'll take our chance. I think we can be successful. So that, that seems to be the problem from the very beginning when Amalek Asher Korcho Baderech and sort of cooled it off for the rest of the people, even though they, they lost, but they, but they had been effectively uh, chipping away at the hashivas of the Jewish people. And this is what you see over here, that we have people trying to chip away. How far it will go, I have no idea. And just taking a, a small little thing over here, there's a, um, it's not around the corner. In Honolulu, Hawaii, it's not around the corner for most of us. But there's a, uh, there's a place over there called Oahu, Oahu Kosher. Oahu kosher, and it's a very, very nice symbol. It's a pineapple, checkered pineapple, by the way. Just the way a pineapple looks, with a checkered background, and a K in the middle, and they, you know, it's a, and they call themselves Oahu kosher, and it says, this is what it says on the website, Oahu kosher is under the supervision of Orthodox chef Yuri Weinbaum. So I don't know if Chef Yudi Weinbaum is the owner, or Chef Yudi Weinbaum is a mashkiach, or maybe Chef Yudi Weinbaum is a uh, is a private hashkocha. I tend to think it's either one of the first two that he's the owner or he's a mashkiach, mostly likely the owner. I have emailed them and I have not heard back yet, but I just thought it was interesting. The pineapple K. Anyone ever sees it, a pineapple K, it's probably self-certified by Yudi Weinbaum. Someday I'll probably find out. If I do, I'll, I'll let you people know what, you know, what, what comes back, if he, if he, does, he does respond. Uh, now, I'm going to go on to uh, an interesting thing, because this is really where we're all living. You know, we're all keeping kosher. Some of us used to eat out a lot. Some of us used out a little. Some people used to eat out never. But they had simchas in the, in the restaurants. You know, there were the restaurants were, were active, even if you didn't go out and spend $100 for, for dinner for two. But, but you still ended up there for a simcha or something. And here is a question about what's happening with these restaurants. Some of them are closing, that's for sure. Not all the restaurants are going to continue. I just saw today... Three more restaurants closing. Not all of them kosher, but some of them kosher, black kosher, in Manhattan, closing down, finished, over. Here's a discussion of what's going on in Washington, D.C., which is a very, uh, it's, a, it's a community where they do go out to eat a lot. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know if a lot, what, a, what a lot means, but they go out to eat quite often. And they do put down money, and they do have the money, and it's uh, and it's a pretty affluent area nearby there. And and I would assume um, visitors want to come there, you know, visitors traveling through, and uh, the people who live there in the spring, the, the, the Silver Spring area, 
or in the, in the Washington D.C. area, or in the, the, in, the in, in some of the related uh, Maryland areas. So they they uh, they do like to eat out. Here is a report on the inside. I'm just going to give you pieces of it. It's a very interesting article I saw by an Eric Schucht. Uh, it talks about um, certain restaurants in the greater Washington area. He said that even though the the regular restaurants are opening under certain rules, uh, the, you know, after the, uh, in the having indoor dining now, the, those rules of, li- of limiting it and not allowing indoor dining have been lifted, but not all the kosher restaurants are opening up yet. And here's a little bit the reason why. Very interesting material here. Very. He says that the Washington D.C. district entered into phase two on June 22. And uh, in Maryland, they started the same rules in June 12. Uh, they're allowing restaurants to have outdoor dining and indoor dining up to 50% capacity. Uh, you had to have social distancing. Tables had to be six feet apart, etc. And uh, in, in Virginia, they started allowing restaurants to open and, and in the beginning of July, July 1st. Now, what happened is, I'll give him a quote now from a gentleman by the name of Joshua Katz. He owns Ben Yehuda Cafe and Pizzeria in Silver Spring. He says, it doesn't matter what the rules are. If people don't feel safe going out to eat, they're not going to come. And that's it. Here's a quote from him. I just don't think that people are really ready to eat inside the restaurant just yet. It's really... Not so much up to the government, it's more up to what customers are feeling. As another gentleman, his name is Michael Shelst. He owns the Char Bar in the in Washington, in the District of Columbia, in Washington, D.C. And he said the indoor dining will do little to help downtown business, which is suffering from a lack of tourists. In other words, the tourists are not here. Who's going to eat there? Attractions like the Smithsonian Institution, the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum, the National Archives, Botanic Garden, Library of Congress, and Arlington National Cemetery are closed to the public as of now. So really, if you can't get into those big attractions, people are not making the trip down to Washington like they used to. he said, in, this is a quote from this uh, gentleman, Mr. Chelst, in the restaurant business, if you're not 90% at your normal capacity, you're losing money. He said, we're just basically going to lose a lot of money and probably for 12 months just tr- to try to survive. In other words, they, 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 with the, way, the way it's set up now, they can't win. He said, we're just opening for dinner time from about 4 to 8 o'clock. If I was totally closed, I'd be losing the same amount of money as if I'm open now. The money is going to pay employees and trying to keep them. Now, he wants to keep his business going until it picks up again. But what they do is, in order to be able to make a dollar, the restaurants are doing catering things. So one of the things that they do now is a drive-in barbecues. So Char Bar and the Brooklyn Sandwich Company, that's a food truck, uh, he owns that food truck. 
They take orders from shuls, and they deliver the meals outside the shul. No, nothing inside. They just deliver the meals. And they've been doing very well. There's another company called Holy Chow. Okay, instead of Holy Cow, Holy Chow. So Holy Chow owner, Amy Schreiber, the woman, she says that uh, it's been going extremely well. He means these drop-off things here. We have more and more people ordering because they really don't have many kosher food options to begin with. It also gives family something to look forward to. And they're also making what you call DIY sushi kits. That's, that's uh, do-it-yourself sushi kits. And then people should be able to, that's another way that they're making a few bucks. But obviously, they're not active in the same way that they had been. Mr. Katz believes that it'll be a year before anything return to turn back to where they had been before the pandemic. So this is uh, unfortunately what we have to look forward to. Unfortunately, it's going to take a while, and, and people have to be ready for that. Now, if you're in Brooklyn, and Brooklyn they're opening up, very, very nice. But uh, a lot of the communities are not functioning the way Brooklyn is. Uh, you look into Passaic, you look into uh, you look into um, the five towns, you look into uh, plenty of communities. They're waiting to see some more uh, stability before they will remove their masks and go full blast into the shoals into this and to eat out. It's uh, it take it takes some time. Will it happen shortly? Yes, it could happen shortly. Uh, but the restaurant business is talking about 12 months. From now, not from two weeks ago, from now. This is all what I'm going to read to you. It's just from this few days of information that I got. Now, there's another uh, interesting thing. This is a, a nice positive note here. There's, there are two senators, U.S. senators, um, two ladies, Kirsten Gillibrand and Debbie Stab- Stabno. And it uh, seems that the, uh, the Kirsten Gillibrand, I mean Gillibrand, is a New York Democrat, and Debbie Stabno is a Michigan Democrat, and they represent very large communities of Jewish people and of Muslim people, and they sent a letter to the Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue, asking for details concerning Farmers to Families Food Box Program. During COVID-19, they're giving out boxes of food to people who need it and help the food banks, etc. It's coming from the United States government. And uh, what these two senators are doing is saying, show us what you're doing for kosher and halal. Show us that you're servicing these people. So in the letter, um, see, see, I'll go back a step. In April... The Department of Agriculture, the USGA, announced that under the program, it would be purchasing, sit down a second, listen to this, up to $3 billion in fresh produce, dairy, and meat products to be distributed to food banks, community, and faith-based organizations and other nonprofits. So a lot of the food that's coming out is from the United States government. So in the letter, Gillibrand and Stapno asked the Purdue to describe what the Department of Agriculture has done to ensure 
that kosher and halal food are being ex- included in the Farmers to Families Food Box Program, and what steps the USDA has taken to receive feedback from Jewish and Muslim communities to ensure their religious dietary needs are met by the program. In other words, we have to have input and make sure that it's kosher enough for us. I don't know who they're going to ask. I mean, you ask two Jews, you're going to get a little interesting discussion. Remember how I started with today? Maybe ask about that rabbi we started with. You'll have two different opinions. So I don't know exactly what they mean, what they would but they, we would like to have input because when you say kosher, it's just a general word, and sometimes it won't necessarily be on standards. Uh, you people are really a little spoiled because you live in a community and you buy in from stores, and you, you, you know you're exposed to very little. You don't realize how much not orthodox hashkachas are out there how much non-Orthodox Ashkachas are out there, and how much it plays a role nationally. It's, unfortunately, it's increasing. If you go to my website, which I don't even personally do, some, somebody who works for me put it up, and he, he calls it mine. Okay, fine, but he does it. <laughs> it's, it's called Non-Orthodox Kosher. It's a, it's, it's, it's a page, you know, it's on, it's on, it's on one of these... Uh, Programs, you get a search around to get to it. Non-orthodox kosher, and we list over there dozens and dozens of hashkachas that are not orthodox. Here, right here in America, dozens of orthodox. I remember when I first started, no one who was conservative gave hashkacha. Nobody wanted to be bothered with it. You know, that's something that the the orthodox rabbis bother to get their hands dirty with. But today, oh no, no, there's a lot of hashkachas that are not uh, orthodox at all, and then that's making it across the United States. And, and some of them are in some very good communities. And uh, I'm not just, that's aside from the ones that, you know, that we know are uh, weak, that are what I call retro-kosher, that are going backwards, that are doing things that we did in the 1950s, and, they, and they, they're not living the way we're living now in 2020. There really uh, there are such organizations in the Orthodox world, many of them, but we're talking about conservative reform, uh, non whatever they are, and they they call themselves kosher. It's very very interesting. So if you you do have to be aware of that, and, and when you go out in New York City, you really have to be aware of it. Okay. So here's an interesting uh, part of this story: the first round of purchases for this uh, program from the United States government, what they call the Farmers to Families Food Box Program. The first round of purchases was for $32.4 million in food boxes. It ended on June 30th and totaled cost $1.2 billion. The United States government gave out. Right. According to the USDA. Okay, a second round is... 695,000 food boxes. It's ready to go out on August. Uh, It's set to end on August 31st. So they're giving this stuff out constantly. Then I have a little statistic, which I'm very interested in. And this is an interesting statistic. Whether it's true or not doesn't make a difference. It's interesting. It gives us a little perspective. 
you know, statistics don't have to be true to be interesting. <laughs> Let's take a listen to this one. According to Gillibrand's office, across New York City, Westchester County, and Long Island, about 222,000 Jewish households keep kosher. Now, I did my homework. I tried to figure this out. I said, how can you figure out how many people in there? I'll show you in a second how I figured it out. An estimated 51,700 poor and near-poor Orthodox households and 144,400 other poor and near-poor Jewish households would benefit from the inclusion of kosher options in the Farmers to Families Food Box Program. That's how they got their number there with the, um, you know, the, the 222,000. Now, it's, it's not an exact number, so there must be something else thrown in here. But uh, the 222,000 was Jewish households, which is about a million people. I'll show you in a second how we got there. And out of the million people who keep kosher, they supposedly have 200, about 200,000, almost 10% that are in the poverty area. That's what they're saying, that about 10% of the kosher consumers are poverty in the poverty area. There are 51,700 poor and near-poor households and 144,000 other poor and near-poor Jewish households. That's 200 and that's, that's 190,000. Now, that sounds close to the number of Jewish households. It's, very, it's a scary number. In any event, let me, just, let me just show you what we did to try to figure out how many Jews keep kosher. Yes, a couple of years ago, my Rebbe, who was no longer living, Mordechai Marcus, outstanding Talmud Chacham, Yirei Shemayim, Tzadik Gomer, Mamish Tzadik Gomer, passed away during COVID-19. The more, I was talking about Mordechai Marcus, and I was talking about how many people keep kosher, and I, 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 was, some numbers were thrown around. And he said to me, how many people do you think keep kosher? So I said, whatever it is, I, th- I, th- I thought, uh, whatever I thought, so how many, I, I, I figured out how many uh, supposedly orthodox families there are, percentages, and working off the, the numbers that they had, you know, how many people there were, and I, I don't know whatever I came up with. He said, I told him I think a million orthodox Jews, a million kosher people. So, and which, by the way, is the same number that I had in... And I, when I was a kid growing up, it was the same number. It's scary, but that was the number. He said, I don't think we have a million. I don't think there's a million. Rabbi Marcus said, I don't think there's a million. And we, he started rambling off the cities and telling me how many people are living there and how many people are. Amazing. He had a lot of this information on his fingertips. But what I did is a simple thing. According to uh, some people that I uh, researched from, about 2% or a little bit less of the American population are Jewish. Just Jewish, less than 2%. That's close to it. And, uh, and by the way, 40, over 40% of the, uh, only 40% of the products that are being sold in the marketplace, in any supermarket, over 40%, officially 
are are um, are kosher certified. Over forty one percent. When I was a kid growing up, I remember it was like when I first started with the kosher world. I remember it was about thirty percent, something like that. It's going up. Over forty percent of the products you find in the store are kosher. Now, of course, in New York, you find maybe seventy percent or something. But I'm talking about it. Any way you look, the whole thing, the whole business, over forty percent, and yet. Jews make up only 2% of the country. And what's scary is the number that I found here is that approximately 80 to 85% of the Jewish people don't keep kosher, which means that we are 15 to 20% keep kosher. So if you take your 2% of America, which is over 300 million, and you take, a, you take your 2% of America and you take 80 I took 85%. Take 85% of, uh, I'm sorry, you take 15% of that, and you say we're 15% of the Jewish population, and, you, and the Jewish population is 2% of America. You do your homework, you'll see it's just about 1 million people keeping kosher. So I don't know if it's right, these numbers are right, or who, who, who knows, but it's still a very interesting thing that the number is unfortunately one million, even though the Jewish population is over six million. There's approximately something like about six million. Could be five and a half, but whatever it is, and even of those people, there probably a lot of them are not really Jewish, even though they claim to be Jewish because they were from intermarriages. So we don't know what we have, uh, you know, in terms of conversions that were not orthodox. So we don't know what we really have in terms of the uh, Jewish population. The Orthodox, even though we think, and we're very vocal, and we're very uh, out in the public, and we're doing tremendous things, but we're still a small percentage of the Jewish population in the United States. Uh, Interesting. Now, uh, we have a little time left. Let me go on to a funny topic. It's funny because you know, it's hard to wrap your head around it. It seems that there is a uh, a gentleman who's in jail. I didn't ask what he did. His name is Resch, R-E-S-C-H. His first name is Brandon, Brandon Resch. And he's been in jail for a while. And it seems that when he was originally put into jail, he got kosher food. It seems he went into um, he, he was in, he's in uh, Michigan, which by the way is a tough a tough state. There's been recent cases in Michigan. We've written up about it in the Conscious Magazine. And this gentleman was was in a place um, in in Michigan. Let me see if I can find out where it was. Uh, but wherever he was originally, he was transferred to Oakland. I'm sorry, yeah, that's where he was. He was in Oakland County Jail. We did get a kosher meals, and he was moved to Maycomb County Jail. There he asked for a kosher diet, and uh, he had an interview with the, with the jail's chaplain and was denied a religious kosher diet by the jail because he didn't have the ability to write to a rabbi and get a letter of good, uh, of good standing. Now, it seems that this fellow... Uh, I, I, read, I read it reading ahead now. This fellow, it seems, um, he is probably 
not Jewish. He uh, seems, according to the quote that I saw from uh, Rabbi Baruch Zelof, Z-E-L-O-U-F, a Michigan advocate for the uh, uh, Aleph Institute, he said he told the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, according to Resh's grandmother, Resh self-proclaimed as Jewish after entering prison. In other words, he became Jewish by saying, I am Jewish. And that group, therefore, does not consider him Jewish, which means um, the, the Aleph Institute will not consider him a Jew. But, this is the interesting part, it seems that uh, he has a defense. Who is going to act as his defense? C-A-I-R-M-I. They joined the legal case of the uh, of, of this prisoner seeking a kosher diet. Who is C A I R M I? A Muslim group. That's the Council of American Islamic Relations. They said they announced that they're going to uh, be the council on behalf of Brandon Resch because they want to make sure that you can get a kosher meal and you can get halal meals in jail. So who is defending him? The, um, the, the Muslims. Now, what's important here is that the following, the next quote I think is really important. The right to maintain a religious diet is of dear importance to the Muslim community. I can't pronounce it. D-O-U-K-O-U-R-E. That's Dokur. Her name is Amy Dokur. She told the uh, she told the uh, the, the, the Jewish um, uh, the she told she told the the writer of this particular thing that uh, the, the, the defending religious diet is very important to the Muslim community. On this issue. The Muslim and Jewish communities are closely aligned. So who is defending him? The Muslims. Now, there is a, I don't want to mention names, so I'm going to leave the name out, but the, he is the executive director of JCRC AJC. This is a, uh, a Jewish organization, obviously not religious organization. They said that neither... Resh nor CAIR had reached out to their organization, but if approached, we would do our utmost to help. So, in other words, they're backing this as well. If they do it in the end, I don't know if they do it in the end. They don't have to do it in the end. Now, there's a gentleman by the name of Professor Daniel Manville. I don't know if you remember him. We mentioned him, I think, in the past. He's a, a civil rights. Uh, he's on the civil rights clinic of Michigan State University. And he was very active for the from people, from real from, who are in jail and were seeking kosher meals. And this point, and then Michigan was not giving them kosher meals. And there was big fights about them. We were quoted, well, I mean, I don't know if we were quoted, but we were involved in helping these two prisoners who were doing it for all the people who were in jail in Michigan. And they were successful to get their kosher meals even though the government tried very hard to defeat them. And this gentleman named Professor Daniel Manville was their helper, was the one who helped them. And he spoke to this uh, 
the attorney handling Resch's case, and uh, you know he's, he said if the jail uses the requirement against a Jewish detainee, it is likely to require it against a Muslim. It's better to stop something like that when you have a good factual base case. I'm sorry. The the fact that he was given a kosher diet in Oakland County Jail but not in Maycom bolsters the case. Maycom is on shaky ground. So they stopped giving it to him because they he said he couldn't prove he's Jewish. It seems the the whole thing really revolves around he couldn't get anybody to I mean, remember he, he he decided he's Jewish when he walked in the door. So he really didn't uh, you know he he couldn't get any support from his from his past. So the question is whether anyone wanted to back him up. I don't know if any rabbi would back him up, but uh, but, but but be that as it may, uh, the, the question is whether they have to prove that they're Jewish and that they've been accepted and that they have uh, support in the Jewish religion. Dukur said that Dukur is the, uh, the uh, C-A-R-E-R uh, attorney. That's the one from the, the Muslim. She said, the law never required anybody to get the approval of someone else, that this is your sincerely held religious belief. It is only up to the individual. This is a, this is a scary part of this whole thing. That in, in the world of the uh, prisons, you don't have to be actually born into that religion. You don't have to have converted into that religion. You can accept that religion. And you may have to show some level of commitment to kosher, and you have to give up certain things maybe to eat together, but you basically are able to determine in your brain and your statement and, and make it, you know, decide that you're interested in kosher and you're interested in being Jewish. And I get so many letters from people who are not Jewish talking about, I want to keep kosher. And people in jail, I get many letters like that. And uh, obviously, I don't encourage them. I try to discourage them. I try to tell them that they have no responsibility to keep kosher. And kosher doesn't really do anything for them. It's only a religious ruling. It has nothing to do with health, nothing to do with this, nothing to do with that. But there are many of them that are very, 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 very dedicated to it, right or wrong. But the point is that this is defending us as practicing Jews in America. Exciting? Maybe it's not. Here's an interesting uh, piece at the end of the article. The Detroit Jewish News reported in February that there were 600 prisoners in Michigan prisons. That's all they had, 600. 600 Jewish prisoners in Michigan prisons with, uh, out of 33,000 inmates. So you see it's a very small percentage. Unfortunately, it's still 600 Jewish people. And of the 600 between 85 and 193 in 16 prisons were approved for kosher meals. It, it's, it's not clear what this 85 to 193 to means to me. It means like they don't know what they're talking about. But in, other, in any event, it seems like a very small, very small percentage of Jews are getting kosher meals there. And it could well be that the, the other ones don't want it. I don't know. But uh, this is what's going on in Michigan. I just thought it was interesting that the Muslims are defending this non-Jewish person who says that he, he converted by accepting Judaism, and they're doing it in order to defend, help themselves. And the Jewish people, let's say from Aleph Institute, said, it's not us. 
it gives you a little bit of a synopsis of what's going on in the world today in Kashrus. It's a sad state of affairs when communities are split over respect for different Kashrus agencies. It would be so much better for them to work together, for them to get uh, outside help to, uh, meet, to, to ameliorate the situation, mediation, rather than to go to the blogs and the letters and the, and the Chil Hashem that happens. Uh, it would it'd be nice if none of us had to worry about the prisoners and we wouldn't have any uh, question about the kosher. It would be only Goyim in there. It would be wonderful. But it's it's good that some people are trying to defend the Jews. It's just that they have to be Jews. I mean, if it would be a real Jewish person, you would see how much effort was put out in the Jewish community. The Aulis Institute is an amazing organization, and there are other organizations that help. Uh, there are at least two more that I'm very close with. And it, it seems that, uh, that, that the Jewish community as a whole doesn't know much about it. I mean, we heard about some celebrated cases, but we don't know much about the people who are in jail, and some of them suffer very, very seriously. There's this one gentleman um, that he, 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 he I, I, I hate to say the whole story, but he's learned a lot of Torah, and he wants to become Jewish. And there's a base in trying to help make him Jewish, and they're having a problem over mikvah, how they're going to be able to get him out to table him. If they're looking, to hopefully, to try to get a warden that would be helpful, trying to break through on that score, should somebody convert while they're in jail? I, I, I've spoken to people about it, and their feeling is if he can do the mitzvahs, then he sh- and he wants to convert, he should be inspired to convert. But if he can't do the mitzvahs because they don't allow certain things, then his converting is putting himself in a position where he's not going to make the mitzvahs, or at least some many of them. So this is a very delicate issue, but it was being handled by one of the major basins here in the, in New York in the New York area, um, and it, that's a, that's a serious case. And the man, I know it. I know how much Torah he's learned, and I know how serious the man is. And there are people like that in jail, and many people who did tshuva in jail, many, many people did tshuva in jail. There's some wonderful people that have been active in helping these people. Uh, to get the organizations, there are two women that go around helping Jews in jail, and out of their own pockets pay it takes to my subscriptions to Kashrus magazine for years to the, some of these people in jail because they wanted to help them. They knew that it meant something to them, and they wanted them to get the magazine. And I've seen them spend a lot of time and effort, and I've gotten calls from it, from them. And, and it's a wonderful thing to support prisoners. Of course, they have to be Jewish, and hopefully none of them will be in jail, and hopefully this will all end and we won't have any of these problems again. Let me just share with you a parting point over here. There's a, uh, an interesting series of articles. I can't go through it now because we don't have enough time and because they didn't finish, their, the, uh, they didn't finish the, uh, the set. There are three articles in the set, and they only have the first one, so I don't want to really 
spend the time on it. That's why I didn't uh, mention anything earlier. The OU is putting out a, a wonderful discussion about tequila. It goes back to study the entire history of tequila from the 1600s with Don Pedro Sanchez. Sanchez uh, created this thing called tequila, and it shows how they how you how you take these pineapples. It's an amazing thing. They're, these are pineapples that the uh, that they come from. Huge pineapples, 200 pounds. They they reach 200 pounds. Most of them grow they grow below the ground, and when they mature, then they have to uh, prepare them in certain ways and they go through the entire process of the preparation. But the halachic parts they didn't do yet, and that's why we're going to wait to hear more about that in the future. Kasha's magazine now completed the um, the, Ju- the July issue, and it's being mailed. It will go out in the next day or two. The, uh, the magazine is filled with COVID information before and after and mid-during. It's uh, tributes to four different people who unfortunately passed during this time. And it's filled with uh, very interesting material, including which we read on the air. I don't know if you've got a chance to catch it. We read, it, we read about the, uh, the, the six-hour cheese, so that's, that's in there. And, and we have articles on... Uh, Many, many topics uh, that uh, that uh, are, are crucial to to us. My favorite, personally, has always been. I, I, I always push him. Uh, Anshul Strauss writes for us. He's a wonderful man, and he, and he gives you a a, a, a a thought to ponder all the time. And that this in this issue, he did a he did a wonderful job. It's a it's a magazine that uh, definitely uh, we wish we could have put out the travel guide this year, but it wasn't possible. If anybody would be interested in getting the Cautious magazine, this particular issue, or if you want to get make sure that you get the new Kosher Supervision Guide when it comes out, which is going to be in, which is going to be in September, Mitzvahem, uh, you want to subscribe to the magazine, or for any other interesting area of Kashrus, you want to ask questions, if you want to suggest topics, you can reach us at seven one eight. Three three six eight five four four. That again is seven one eight three three six eight five four four or seven three two nine. I'm sorry five seven three two five three four nine three six three. Again seven three two five three four nine three six three. Or you can reach us at Kashrus K A S H R U S at AOL dot com. And if you're interested in finding out more about the magazine, uh, you can take a peek at some of the copies. Uh, online at kashrusmagazine.com, K-A-S-H-R-U-S magazine.com. And until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine for Kashrus on the Air.